welcome. You are now inside the play call with Orange Arrow, and I'm your host, Sean Robinson. Today we're recording from sunny South Florida, Miami, Florida, home of the Miami Hurricanes. Speaking of the U, have one of their legends on the podcast today, Mr. Dwayne Starks. Well, first, who you with? Yeah, yeah. Who you with? D Starks, what's up, boss? What's going on, my man? How are you? Man, all is well, brother. I can't complain. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting us into your beautiful home, <laughs> sunny South Florida. And you're welcome anytime, man. Come on down, get some sun. Come hang out with your boy. Great. Question, man. We want to get to know you a little bit. So we're approaching September. Right. So from September to the end of the year, if you go on and listen to three musical artists, who would you choose? So anytime you want to listen to music, you can only go to these three artists. Talk to us. I have to go with, if I want to get hype, I'm going to go with uh, 2 Chains. I like his music. I like his lyrics. Uh, he actually says something. You know, a lot of artists not saying many things right. this year. Uh, shoot, the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daniel Caesar, he's a, a new artist, R&B type guy. I like Daniel. Into his own, you know, and he has a different... Uh, sound. He has a different sound that's, that's very, I call it sexy, you know, sexy <laughs> sound. Uh, let me see, someone else. Uh, so, so we got 2 chains. Daniel Caesar. I'm kind of surprised. You you, you went some of the, the more recent artists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could go with Frankie Beverly all day, but I don't want to hear that all Got you, got but you. But at the same time, you know, when I look at artists, the things that I want to hear today, those two artists come uh, to mind right away. Uh, and I got one more to pick. Let's right. see. Uh, Maxwell. Oh, okay. You throw um, back a little Ma bit. What? Yeah. Maxwell. I can go back on Maxwell. Just listen to that. All the all albums he has, old songs, new songs. All songs are relevant to life in general. That's true. So, uh, and that's why he's one of my favorite artists. That's a nice move. That's a nice move. I mean, this is just knowing you, laid back guy, and that that fits you. And then when you want to turn up a little bit. A little two chains, two chains. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make my mama proud. Movies, same time frame. Anytime you want to watch a movie, you go on to go to two of them. Talk to us. Usual suspect. That's a good one. Definitely Kaiser Soze. Kaiser Soze. Yeah, I can watch that all day, every day. Um, and Heat. You talking about an action-packed movie? That's you know filled with everything. That is what I like to watch. Usual suspects and heat. Yep, usual suspects and heat. I think they came out around the same time, but they are the most two memorable movies that I actually uh, like to watch. Speaking of movies, I just started watching The Godfather. I saw the the first one for the first time literally two days ago. Right. I'm halfway through number two. Have you seen all three Godfathers? Yes, I've seen it all. You know, when I watch something like that, I, I binge watch. Gotcha. So, <laughs> until from the start, it may take me two, three days to finish. But from the start to finish, I have to watch, uh, you know, those television episodes of The Wire. Yeah, uh, that's classic. Oh my God. Power right now. They high. say it's a big, rich town. <laughs> <laughs> I just come from the <laughs> wire. So you have a little history with Baltimore. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. before we go to Baltimore, talk about us. Tell us where you're from. Born and raised in Miami. So uh, you know, it's right there across the across the bridge from Miami Beach. So that's two different lifestyles as it is. You know, when they say you cross that bridge or you cross them tracks, it's a different lifestyle. You know, I grew up in in Miami during a. The riot era, the Neville Johnsons, the you know the, the Wayne Lozano trial, all of those things took place right in front of my eyes. You know, like a block away from my home, uh, I've seen the bricks being thrown, the, the stores being looted. Uh, you know, just coming up under that atmosphere is, is something that I never really wanted to get caught up in. 
Uh, that's why a lot of people always say, man, you don't seem like you're from Miami. Oh, don't take me there. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can get real grimy, but don't take me there. Like, it's, no, it's not necessary. I never wanted to be defined by where I was from. Uh, I think at a younger age, by playing Little League football on Miami Beach, I was kind of exposed uh, through travel to, you know, different places in Florida. I really hadn't been too many places out of Florida at the time, but realizing that there's a different life, there's a different world outside of the environment, the immediate environment that I was growing up in. And uh, my family, they always, you know, talk to me about how to speak in front of people, how, what image do I want to put out there to be recognized with. And I think that that's one of the things that shaped me on who I am. But born and raised in Miami, like I say, it's, it's, it was tough. Stuff. You spoke about family. Any brothers mm-hmm. or sisters? Three sisters, two brothers, uh, and they're all older, so I'm the baby. You're the baby. Yeah, I'm the baby. How I'm was six, that? Six years younger than everyone else. Well, not everyone else, but from the the next person. Right. Is six years older. Uh, Did they I treat was, you like the baby? You know, I would I wouldn't say they treated me like the okay. baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were protective of me. Okay. You know? Sisters in particular, they they're very. Uh, protective of their little brother, so, and but you know I had family. Like I say, growing up in Miami, you know it was not, it was not easy. But I had cousins that was in that life, so uh, everyone knew not to mess around with me. So that was that was one thing. The other thing is like I'm not gonna take so much uh, from a person myself until I explode. Now when I explode, that's a different story. Like. You want like, where's this guy coming from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be totally surprised just knowing you and your demeanor. <laughs> you know, you're like, where's this guy coming from? But you know, I'm more so observing on a lot of things, and I don't, uh, I kind of like stay away from that path. So I think that helps out a lot. So we know football. Did you play any other sports? Growing up, man, I was. I was active in every sport. You're talking about baseball. I even played table tennis. <laughs> I mean, if you you take me over to the park, I'll still be the park champion. The rec center, I mean, we grew up in that area, grew up doing everything. Overtown, table tennis, softball, track, football, flag football, tackle football, which I actually played tackle football in Tecosi, which is in Liberty City, as well as Miami Beach. So, you know, the difference of the two demographics yeah. is another thing that shaped me to, for who I am now. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I, I love to play every sport. Yeah. You didn't mention basketball, could you hoop? Yeah, basketball too. You hoop a little I, bit? Every sport, man. I think I played every sport except uh, tennis. I left that to the to the Doug Edwards and the, the, the Allen and Steve Edwards brothers, they were pretty good at that. I just couldn't get it down. But table tennis was a totally different ball game. I was really good at table tennis. Yes, I'm about to check you out. You you think you still got it? Ping pong. You still you still got it? Yeah, still got it. We might have to find out. We might have to find out. Yeah. Were some of your uh, favorite athletes growing up? Who were, you know, we had limited role models. Coming up when I was an athlete, of course, I've always liked the Mark Clayton and Mark Duper from the Miami Dolphins, the uh, Eddie Brown that grew up over town. Actually, he's, he's uh, our very own over townian or towner for life. He's uh, played for the Cincinnati Bengals at the time, so that was that was pretty good knowing that he made it out. And then the Darren Mickle, who I grew up with went to University of Florida, made it out as well. The Ben Hanks, guys that I played against in high school, they made it to the league. And, you know, once I got my opportunity by me making it, those guys were still my role models. You know, I I really look up to them and, and, you know, for a lot of things that they did uh, for me as my confidence, uh, the lessons I learned on the field with them, like, challenging them in different different things like that whole competitive nature comes from guys like that and to see them make it of course definitely they were my role models that's great you seem like you all have a pretty strong tradition in the area oh yeah it's, it's much bigger now i mean a lot of kids have a lot more opportunity now they, they figure out 
what it takes to get there by guys like myself and Darren and Ed Brown who paved the way to say, hey man, we're, we're so good in, in, the, in the neighborhood, let's be great outside of the neighborhood, which means get to college, get yourself to college, and the next step is going into the league. So, you know, it happened with uh, Doug Edwards that played basketball, ended up signing with the Atlanta Falcons, I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. Hawks, right. And, you know, he was an inspiration to a lot of guys. A friend of mine, Devin Davis, when he played uh, Miami of Ohio, and he played overseas, so, you know, and he played for a while as well. So guys that does not, that did not make it to uh, the national level, basically like the NFL or the NF, I mean, NBA or whatever, at least they had still someone say, hey, I didn't make it to the NBA, but I did this. And it still gave me a means to an end when it came to support my family. And you know, it just it just opens the door and it opens the mind that uh, allows a kid to, to, to keep motivated and not give up. Right. And it also speaks to the importance of being able to use athleticism in your sport to a vehicle and oh, have yeah. that means to an end. Oh, yeah. So let me take you back. How were you as a student? As a student, I was just getting by, man. Uh, you know, I was always smart enough to know enough, but I wasn't smart enough to take those extra steps because I was so dug into sports and uh, growing up in a situation where I didn't have mentors that would teach me the ropes on anything else outside of football and outside of sports. Uh, like I said, in my neighborhood, you didn't, you didn't have accountants growing up. You didn't have uh, financial advisors. You didn't have attorneys. You, you've had, you know, every day was a blue collar, uh, you know, every everyday blue collar parents that was struggling to get by. Or, to, you know, my mom, she worked at Publix for 20-something years until I made it into the league. My dad, who were injured, uh, did not have a job, as far as I know, all of my life. You know, he got hurt before I was born, or either when I was too young to remember him having a job. Uh, and he was fighting a lawsuit case for um, pretty much all of my life. <laughs> and I think he was finally rewarded after a long, dragged-out process. But, you know, my parents grew up in the country, South Carolina, uh, they, they were not into, you know, they didn't have a college education. I think the, the most was the high school education. And then my father, of course, furthered his education after he moved down to Miami and became a pastor. Uh, and, you know, there's so many other kids out there that is growing up in that same situation, not having parents or mentors that can teach them more than just sports or more than what they know and, and and if you they always say you don't know what you don't know so if your parents don't know uh something that they can teach you if they don't know about it how can they tell you about it you know they, they can't expose you to something that they don't they haven't been exposed to themselves and that's that's what happens a lot of things and a lot of kids have opportunity but have never been exposed to the resources to give them those opportunities. So that's why, you know, sports, of course, the athletes definitely, you know, they, they look at it as this is my way out. And they hear by vague advice on what they can do to get out. But if they're not taking through those steps through someone who's been there before, then therefore it's basically the same same problem over and over again. Right. You said a lot just now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stood out that I did not know we had in common, you are a PK. You're a preacher's yeah. kid. You're a pastor yeah. kid. Yeah. My, da my dad's a pastor as well. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I did not man. know that. Yes, sir. Uh, all my life, man, I think I, my dad became a pastor uh, when he was about, well, when I was about 12, maybe 11 or 12 years old. Okay. It could have happened before that, but as far as I know, I was around that anywhere from 9 to 12 years old range where he became an associate pastor. 
uh, associate minister. And now, you know, he never had his own church, but he's always been there in the forefront. Uh, some of the top, you know, well-known pastors around in the Miami area. And so staying there, can you speak to how has faith uh, played a role in your life? Oh, man, it's, it's definitely the biggest role played in my life because, and thank, thank God for my parents that, you know, believed in, in God and believed in, uh, you know, getting ahead. There were little signs in my, in my home as I grew up. And one in particular said, uh, and this has nothing to do with the scripture, but one in particular said, it's always, let me back up. It says, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. That's good. So every day while I'm sitting at the dinner table, man, I, and I see this sign, it's just right in front of me, hanging up over the bar counter. And it just dwelled on me. And that's the way I started to live my life. So with those, you know, with that in mind, the faith of having parents that believe in God, taking me to church every Sunday, although I used to skip out of church <laughs> and go to the candy store. Right. It's <laughs> like, so, hey, give me my, my offer money. I got to go. <laughs> give me my offer right. money. I got to go. And I'm going to take it right there to the candy store. Uh, but you know, always believing in God. I mean, He's made a lot of things possible for my parents. I, I've seen that uh, based on their faith and what their experiences were, uh, especially coming up in the '60s and '40s and '50s. You know, all those uh, racial uh, tension years. Uh, we still have those today. And, you know, I'm not blind to that. But before, it was a lot, lot, lot worse. And you know, God bringing them through those. Uh, testimonials and, and allowing me to see that and then started to I started to notice the miracles he worked out in my life um, opportunity where I was about probably 13 years old now nah, probably a little younger but about to run across the street and not seeing this big white van slam on brakes and my legs slid up under the front bumper of that, of that man, and you know, God saved me from that. You know, it, it, if that, my leg would have been run over, that would have been the end of everything. I, I still feel that way because the way my leg was planted up under that car, I think it might have been 12 inches, maybe six inches from running my leg over, and I couldn't pull it up. You know, I slipped down and uh, slid trying to stop. My leg just went forward right up under the truck. I mean, man, uh, that was God. That was God stopping that man. Uh, a lot of other things that happened, you know, me going through uh, junior college, uh, taking that route, not understanding why God, you know, do I have to take this route with all this God-given talent that you've given me, now I have to go to a junior college uh, just to try to continue, you know, to continue to uh, strive after my career. And, Things happened there. You know, it, it was just a long journey for me. But at the end of the day, God had worked it all out. And it actually gave me experience so that I can go back someday and tell a kid, you know, never give up. Because if you take, you look at the route that I've taken, it wasn't the, the usual route. It was very long. You know, two years in junior college. A, a full summer in community college here before University of Miami put me on, gave me a scholarship to get back there uh, to play for them. And serving three years there after I had a surgery, uh, shoulder surgery, uh, no, bruised rotator cuff at the time, it wasn't surgery then. And uh, it just continued to pour blessings in even when things looked dim. And I mean, you gotta keep the faith because things like that don't just happen. You know, a lot of it turns out bad for a lot of people when they don't have faith and they don't give God the credit for what you've come through. Uh, and I never, I never want to forget that. 
I never want to be the one that said, I did it on my own. No, I didn't do it on my own. God took me through this. And that speaks to the importance of a child's support system, their mm-hmm. family. Because I really helped shape you as a young man and I, as an adult, mature man. And I helped guide you. And seeing that, that scene from a young age has really pushed you forward. Mm-hmm. Along with all the other things that were taught with you. So, you went to junior college. So, I, I would assume it's because, not because of the lack of athletic ability, but it's probably potentially the lack of focus in the classroom. Is that correct? Uh, well, it was a bit of both. Okay. You know, like I say, my, my focus was mainly playing sports. And, and there were some things that, even in the classroom, you know, I focused with. I didn't take it that serious, you know. I always been told vaguely why you should take it seriously, but I was never given a visual the roadmap, the roadmap right. to yep. say, "Hey, here's step one, two, this is right. what's going to happen when you get to college. This is what's going like those things were never really there in a sense of detail because not many of my friends or family." had taken that road. They just heard, hey, it takes an education to get to college. So, okay, I'm in school. You know, that's my thought. I'm in school, I'm doing what I gotta do. But not knowing there was so much more that I could have been doing. Things that I can tell a young kid now, hey, go into this class because this class is gonna really prepare you for life. PE, you know, you're going to stay in shape regardless. You know, right, right, exactly. And I'm playing football. I don't need to take PE. You know, all those little things, physical education. You take the classes that count. Take debate classes. That's what this world is all about. Debate, finance, math, accounting, geometry. All of those things is what the life is all about. You're talking about being a builder, a construction worker. Don't, don't just teach me how to build it. You know, teach me how to how to put it together. Teach me all of those things that I need, all the geometry behind it, all the measurements behind it. And that's going to make me a better person. And here's the reason you need to learn these things. Uh, and, and that makes a difference, man. That makes a difference in the growth of a person. In the growth of a person overall, not just the growth of his maturity. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. You can follow. Yeah, I do. Because everyone is going to mature to a certain level of their experiences. But growth is really, really mental. Really, really educational. Like educational growth is where I'm going with this. When you can grow educationally, mentally, that puts you so far ahead of everyone else who's just growing up. Yeah, that's good. You broaden your horizon. You, you, you learn so many things and, and you make limited mistakes. And that's what life is all about, man. Make as least mistakes you can. Gain all the knowledge that you can. And just move forward. You can have an enjoyable life. And what you're speaking to is partly why Orange Arrow exists. Because mm-hmm. it's really giving young student athletes exposure to life outside of their sport. Yes, yes. Extremely talented individuals, but learning from individuals like yourself or my or myself or other collegiate mm-hmm. student athletes of what it took to be able to get there besides playing. Mm-hmm. We know you gotta score touchdowns, you gotta make plays, you gotta get interceptions. Right. They know that route. They see that. But they often don't see the steps on the other side of you gotta go to class. You got to be consistent. You got to be respectful. You got to build relationships. You got to network. Things of that nature. Exactly. So you go to junior college. Then you go to the U, the University of Miami. Right. What does that mean to you, the University of Miami? Well, here's the thing that pushed me back to the University of Miami. You know, I signed with uh, Clemson University. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Because my parents told me that they would want to move back to South Carolina. Once I finished high school, got it. That didn't happen. <laughs> so, and of course, I had a kid when I was as a senior 
in high school. Uh, moving a little too fast for my age, but you know, I'm blessed to have him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went off to junior college. My parents brought him up to Mississippi, Holmes Junior College in Mississippi. And my son did not recognize me because I hadn't gone for a couple of months now. You know, he was young, uh, baby still, and he did not want to come to me. That hurt me dearly. So when my years were up, I was like, there's no way in the world that I'm leaving my son again. I'm going to Clemson. No, I'm going back to Miami. Uh, got in contact with the guy down at Miami, and he said, uh, hey, Dwayne, how, how you doing up there? I'm great. You know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm getting my grades and everything. And I ended, he's like, well, we still have a scholarship for you when you can get out of there. And they held true to their word. They held true to their word. You know, they, they gave me a couple of recommendations to go to a uh, community college and people to talk to and got it all done. Man, that was a mission, man. That was really enlightening. To be that age and understand the importance of being a father Mm -hmm. to your young son. And be able to make that selfless decision to come back home. Because you could have went to Clemson. Because, hey, Mm -hmm. you could have said, I'm going to ball out. I'm going to the league. And then I'll come back and take care of him. Mm -hmm. And so... I applaud you at that young age to be able to make that wise decision, and I'm willing to bet it has something to do with your your upbringing, your parents, and what they instilled in you in order to keep you going back to the early statements with your face and what's really important in life. Right, right. I mean, my family is a close-knit family. We, we all stick together. It's a lot of us, too. I mean, cousins included, uh, a lot of relatives. and. We've always been close, and a lot of other families admired us, felt that. And, you know, thinking about that and thinking about other families that I know that are not close, you know, we, we had, like when we have Christmas, we all do Christmas. When we have Thanksgiving, we all do Thanksgiving. Still to this day? Still to this wow. day, pretty much. Yeah. All do Thanksgiving. Uh, in some form of a group uh, and, and when I was a kid I remember other family members other families other friends coming over to our home to have Thanksgiving meals because that's not what they had it's like yo are you going to eat at home no man I'm coming to your house wow. you know yeah yeah <laughs> so, that was great and this is how close knit we was as a family this was a big thing because Every year growing up, Thanksgiving, we had to hit every auntie house, every cousin's house. And I'm talking about we have three, four plates for the whole day. We, the next day, we just stuck. We just stuck. Like, no, nah, what you doing? I oh, man, I'm good, man. I got my plate. I got something, some leftovers over here. I got some leftovers from auntie Sarah. Right. You know, man, listen. And we still do the same thing. Stand on Thanksgiving. What's the must-have food for Thanksgiving for you? For me, oh, the turkey. Turkey. The turkey. I can do it without turkey, the though. stuffing. Oh, my God. So you call it stuffing. You don't call it dressing. The, the dressing, the stuffing. Okay. Oh, man, listen. I, I, I got to have it. I'm, I'm a sweet potato pie. Sweet potato? I'm, I'm kind of getting out of that. But I was, I, yeah, I was crazy about the sweet potato, sweet potato pie. But uh, I come from a cooking family. Can you cook? I can cook a little. So can I. I can cook a little. So we got to compete in ping pong? And then, and then we gotta have a cook off. Now on the grill, or wherever you want it. I don't think you. Know <laughs> I don't think you know. I got some recipes for you, man. I, I've, I've picked up recipes from guys like Zach Crockett, who's a dynamite barbecue. How about that? Oh my goodness! I, he, he taught me how to keep everything moist and, and juicy. Man, you got me thinking about my barbecue grill right now. <laughs> <laughs> so take you back to the U. So how was your experience there? My experience at the U was like no other, man. I've, you know, been home, but away from home on the Coral Gables campus. Uh, it was another life. It was another lifestyle. My experience there playing against the top talent uh, guys in college, you know, having the opportunity to practice against them every day, uh, having that University of Miami swagger, uh, which we all carry. 
Because if you didn't, if you didn't belong in the University of Miami, you didn't last long. You didn't last long. You sat, you sat on the bench for a while. You may, you might have had your scholarship taken because somebody else was waiting on it. That's how serious it was at the University of Miami. Uh, but that was an amazing uh, experience throughout my college career when it came to those three years. Uh, you know, some tough times happened there too. A friend of ours, a teammate, Marlon Barnes, were, was killed uh, on campus. A lot of guys dealt with that. But how we pulled through it was was uh, was amazing itself. Uh, sticking together and, and continuing to do what we did as athletes in, in the community and what people believe in, uh, mentoring kids, you know, kids looking up to us as athletes and turning that whole program around because we actually, uh, well, Butch Davis was helped to that because <laughs> I actually went there and had the first losing season in, I think, 20, 30 years. <laughs> but that's what, you know, when we didn't have the scholarships, we didn't have the scholarships to, to bring in all the top tier athletes. But, and that's why I say athletes, was, uh, scholarships were scarce. So if you were messing around, you might not have been able to take <laughs> Right. So we, we can only keep the talent that, that we had, man, which Andrew James came in, Bubba Franks, which is Daniel Franks, Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss, that whole crew came in and played a year or two with me. And, you know, that just, that just, Put the U right back on the map. Those guys. Definitely, yes, they did. And so. Hey, like what you hear? Please help support Orange Arrow by giving any monetary gift. A gift of just $10 will sponsor a life skills playbook for a young student athlete. $35 will sponsor nutrition for an in class session for 15 student athletes. $50 will allow a young student athlete to attend a fine dining experience. And $100 allows a young student athlete to attend an arts and culture event. Please visit our website at orangearrow.org to donate. Again, that's orangearrow.org and the donate button is in the right header. Thank you. I just missed you because I played against Reggie and Santana mm -hmm. and, yeah. Yeah. and I was actually on both of their highlights. So, <laughs> so I was like playing cornerback <laughs> advocate they were both drafted in the first round, and when it was time to show their highlights when they were getting drafted, you got Mel Kuyper and the whole crew talking about them. There's a little, little number seven from Pitt on both of their highlights. Oh, man, yeah, Some yeah. tremendous athletes. You know what, Pitt, you, you, I don't know if you were there in 90... I got there in 98. Okay, yeah, you were going, I was not. But Pitt beat us, man. That was the, that's the losing season we had. We let Pitt beat us. That was <laughs> oh, y'all, y'all let Pitt, Pitt, Pitt yeah, beat y'all. Yeah, Pitt beat us. I think we had uh, one of your coaches, I believe, had went over to Pitt, and uh, they kind of knew what we were doing, and, and they made it work. And they beat us. Held a pit. <laughs> you almost said it. I almost got you. <laughs> so, University of Miami, successful there you get an opportunity to live out your dreams and play in the National Football League. Talk to us about draft day. Draft day was special, man. You know, a lot of guys went off to New York uh, to sit around and be on camera and get drafted. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure I celebrate that moment with my family, my friends, everyone who actually was there for me when I was playing. I didn't want to leave them and do it on my own. I wanted to share that moment with them. So we all went over to my agent's house, Drew Rosenhaus at the time, and, uh, you know, did the draft there. You know, got the phone call there. It's, it's much better doing it with family. That's how I feel. You know, they make them a part of it. Don't rob them of that experience of just watching it on television. Have them there with you. And that's, that was the moments that they would all remember. If they only had one highlight in their life, them looking and witnessing you being drafted and they were there even if you had cameras in the house just to have them on camera and like hey they shared that moment with you that's amazing that's amazing no, that's great the you said something earlier about how your mom used to work for Publix mm -hmm. until you got drafted to NFL. Got drafted. So yeah. talk to us about that time when you were able to make that decision and be able to well, How did your mom stop working at Publix? 
Yeah, there's some of the history behind that. I used to, you know, come home from high school and hear, you know, high school, college, and hear the same complaints from my mom time and time again. These, you know, these bosses don't respect me. You know, I'm doing everything that I can. They're just trying to get, they want to write me up for this. They want to write me up for that. They're not paying me enough money for all of this stuff. <laughs> all, you know, all of the complaints. Rather some were her and some were the, the actual boss's fault. And, you know, when I made it and I was like, you know what? Twenty to $30,000 a year for that stress? Come on, you go to your job telling that you, you, you're done. It's like, I'm not gonna allow that to be stress on my mom's life. No, that's yeah. Hang. Like, you know how higher, uh, how NFL players hang up their cleats? Right. I said, mom, hang up your public's apron. How about <laughs> so, that? Uh, and she did that, man, and we didn't look back, and you know, everything that I've done was, was always for my family, and always for my kids. And, you know, I'm a people person. I like to make sure that people are happy, and especially my family. That's, that's number one. Taking you back again, you mentioned The Wire. You said you had a tie to Baltimore. You were drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, yes. What do you know about Baltimore? Baltimore, be more. Tell us about the city of Baltimore. Yeah, what does that mean to you? Relate to me or yeah, to wire? you. Because I know you mentioned the wire. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just, I just know you, you, we know you have a tie to Baltimore. So, how was the city of Baltimore to you? City of Baltimore was great. Uh, they welcomed me right away. And the good thing is, I had family in Baltimore as well. Uh, my aunt, my dad's sister, and her side of the family, they were all there in Baltimore, West Baltimore. And uh, they took me in, of course, where. It made it easier for me to make Baltimore feel like home. Uh, some of the teammates I've had, of course, Ray Lewis, who made me his uh, roommate in camp, my first NFL camp. Myself and Ray Lewis, you know, we played at the University of Miami together. But he's like, hey, he's a cane. He's coming in the room with me. So what's the difference? Has he been in the league one or two years? Before? He had been in the year. He had been in the league. Two years. Two years, okay. He went in the 96 draft, which means he played 96 and 97, and I came in 98. So, okay. You know, it was just. Came stick together. Yeah, came stick together. But Baltimore, man, is definitely a great place. Uh, it was close enough to DC, close enough to Philly, New York, all of those places. And it made it easy for me to travel when I wanted to travel and still get back home to Fort Lauderdale. Or Miami, and you know, everything just worked out. And the atmosphere, the teammates, those guys were like no other. I mean, I've played on four different teams, and Baltimore has to be the greatest team that I've ever played for with the characters of the, <laughs> the players, you know, the personalities, the, the Shannon Sharp, Ray Lewis, yeah. uh, Tony Saragusa, Robert Nett. Hell the pit. Uh, you know, Goose with the end. There yeah, we go. I, know, <laughs> I, I should have held that name. Back. <laughs> uh, but those guys, man, they were they were a little older. They were mentors, and they they really taught me what the league is all about. By me being an observant person and willing to listen and willing to see what the NFL had to offer, uh, I've learned a lot of things. I've seen a lot of guys released for various different reasons. I've seen a lot of guys throw their careers away for various different reasons. Uh, and, and I must say unnecessary reasons or an unnecessary incidents that, that took place. Uh, but it's just a matter of what you believe in, man. It's if you believe in the fact that you're there to work and you're there to, to represent yourself as well as your family, you know, whoever is supporting you, then you look at life a little different. You look at the, the job and the opportunity a lot different than someone who's taking it for granted. So we had another former NFL athlete on the podcast, Tory Cox, another Miami native. Mm -hmm. And you said something that he, that he also said as far as going to work. It's a job. Oftentimes, those who are not in that world, we see it as men playing a game. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about that mindset of 
being an NFL athlete, playing a sport, but it's actually work. You're going to work. It's a job. Yeah, it's definitely a job. I mean, when you when you look at it, and I can even take it back further. You know, guys like Tory, myself, we grew up in the same environment. Uh, you know, Tory kind of grew up uh, knowing about me and who I was, and, and I knew who he was as a young fella. And the competition that we've all played in and played against, it's like either you gonna get the job done or you out of here. Got it. So that you, it's funny if you do the correlation of successful NFL players or guys that at least made it to the NFL, they understood work, a work ethic uh, that mentally they knew it's a job. I'm here to do one thing. I'm here to win. I'm here to compete. I don't know what your job is, to look good in the uniform, <laughs> right. or whatever other reason you're here, or just for the money, no, this is a job. And you think about all the successful players, man. You look at the Ray Lewis, he treated like a job. You look at the Chris Car uh, Carters, uh, the LeBron James, the, the Dwayne Wade's, the, uh, all the successful players, they treated like a job. These stocks. Yes, sir. <laughs> Tell me about the pick six. In the Super Bowl. There it is. That's all I had to say. I just had to say, tell me about the pick six. Oh, yeah. Pick six, man, is, is something that, uh, and, and, you know, for everyone who's listening, is he's talking about the Super Bowl 35 touchdowns, the interception I ran back for touchdown, 49 yards. Where was the game played? In Tampa. Tampa. Yeah, okay. Tampa, Florida. Right. He played against the Giants. And, uh, it's funny because there was a lot of film watching that I did and, and not until the last day before the game that I really noticed something that Kerry Collins was doing when it came to releasing the ball. Uh, of course, I've already looked at the formations, all of the tendencies that the offense does. So he was in a two by two and they motioned a three by one. So when I'm on the backside where there's only one receiver, and he has a wide split near the sideline. I know he has no no place to go but to go inside. So there was something else that I picked up from Kerry Collins is that every time he did a three-step drop and his third step was kind of like a high hop, he released the ball. And if he did not hop, you know, he just pumped the ball and, and you know, more so like a double move and it wasn't a three-step hurry-up, you know, pass. And this time, I, I don't know why the game felt so slow, because I saw two by two motion to three by one, and uh, I said, "Oh, I hope this throw it this way," <laughs> and they they actually did, and he hopped, and I it was in slow motion to me. I like that. So even when I broke on the ball to make the interception, all I was thinking is, Just "Don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball." So when I caught the ball, you know, running a four two forty. I was like, no one's going to catch me. I'm out in front of everyone. So I peeked back, and Peter Bowler almost clipped the guy. I was <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so, you know, I, I scattered my way into the uh, end zone for the touchdown, the pick six. And that was a memorable moment, man. And the sad part about this whole story is that after the game, after we won 35-7, to uh, whatever the score was, uh, a reporter said to me, that's probably going to be the best play of your career. And I was like, hey, get out of here, man. I'm just, this is my third season. Right. What are you talking about? But not understanding the importance of that moment. Of that moment. Yeah. This is the biggest, biggest game, the biggest stage of, this is what the NFL gets to, every player wants to be in and not knowing the significance of how important that play was, I was upset. And that's why I said that was the sad part about it. But now looking back, I know what he was talking about. Right. I right. feel what he, not only know, I feel inside what it is that he was talking about. And so you were able to experience that life moment because of your, in part, because of your preparation yes. and being a student of the game. And so for the young athletes out there, 
it speaks to the importance of being a student of the game, actually makes the game easier, but also taking it to the classroom or even life, becoming a student. So we, so as we know, it's time to prep for a test. If we're studying yeah. and we've been reading, and then now when the test is the time to take the test, just like you said, it slows down for you. Yeah, you're more than prepared. For you. You're right. more than prepared. See, that's the thing with, uh, and I'm not just talking about anybody else because if I look back on my life, those are the things that we're missing, having that vision of knowing that someday you may need this. Uh, that time when I'm, when I'm studying film, I'm like, I'm just hoping that I need it. I'm hoping that they run this play. Uh, <laughs> and it's just like education. You're taking those math classes and that algebra doesn't seem that important. Like, man, I'm never going to use this thing <laughs> right. until you need it. Mm -hmm. Correct. And then when you need it, if you're not prepared for it, then you're in trouble. But if you need it and it pops up, you're like, oh, bam, I got this. And you move on to the next level. A lot of people can't do that. That's true. That's true. A lot of people can't do that. So you played for four teams, you said. Yes. Baltimore, yes. what other three? Played four years in Baltimore. Uh, went over to New England, uh, no, Arizona after that. And played three years there, and then played one year with New England, and the final two years with the Oakland Raiders. Now the Oakland Raiders is pretty great experience for me too, but it's not the best football <laughs> playing time. <laughs> but that's my last two years. You know, I've accomplished a lot uh, ahead of that, and all of those experiences is just great for me because I look at it where I can talk to young guys about what certain things mean when it comes to a team's actions towards you. Uh, uh, maybe a contract year, maybe, you know, just moving forward, being progressive on the team, the steps that you can take to try to solidify yourself a spot on the roster. All of those things, you know, plays throughout the experiences that I had in the NFL. And every for every three to four years was a different experience for me. And it's just a lesson. It's a lesson that I've learned to be able to teach other young guys coming up about. And so if my math is, is, if my math is correct, you yeah. played 10 years. 10 years, exactly. And we know the average is about three and a half. Yeah, it's saying not, for, yeah. not for long. So congratulations yeah. to you, Thank you on that. Thank you. Next question is, You've been playing football since you were a little kid. We talked about it all the way up. Mm -hmm. How was that transition after playing 10 years in the NFL to where you're no longer playing football? Uh, my career ended at 10 years, which I'm blessed for that. Did it end the way I wanted it to end? No. I wanted to be able to make the Pro Bowl, which I was always voted out <laughs> instead of, I say voted out I, you know uh, other guys were voted in instead of me and uh, you know I started to deal with some injuries midway through my career which limited my playing time especially the last three to four years that I played and uh, oh man yeah that transition because I mean we hear the story so much of Guys are just falling by the wayside. They're dealing with a, a lot of different issues because it's something they've been doing since they were sometimes six, seven years old. Right. They right. said it, it. You hear about depression. So right. A lot of guys deal with that. Uh, I, I can't say how many, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of guys that deal with that and has to come to grips with uh, not being able to play. Like I say, my transition when I when I retired, it was not a transition where I was ready to stop playing. Yeah, so there had to be some growing, growing moments and some coming to reality saying, man, it's really over. Uh, because for the first year, I was always waiting on that phone call to ring. Got that phone to ring, you know, waiting on that call. And it just wouldn't happen. It's not going to happen. You know, but not knowing uh, exactly what I was going to do, I started a limousine company, which was good. Uh, I've got some, you know, business entrepreneurship experience through that. Uh, started learning more on how uh, things operate from that perspective, from the sales perspective, from uh, 
being an owner, hiring people, firing people. Yeah. <laughs> the all of those experiences that I never really had. You know, I've, I've been an employee before. Uh, those summer jobs and my first couple of jobs when I was in high school, uh, just to make sure that I supported my son. And you know, and that was before I went out to college. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the transition is difficult for a lot of guys because they don't come to grips with the fact that they're done. And let alone they haven't prepared or have made enough money to suffice that dead time before you figure out what it is your life is going to be about, what your second career is going to be about. Uh, because, like I said, if you go back to what we talked about earlier, we didn't have those, a lot of guys didn't have those mentors on what steps to take, those detail on how to prepare for life after football. Uh, we've only been given vague advice on it. So therefore, you know, that's why I'm actually doing a curriculum on that as well. Right. Uh, because you know, we've never been given uh, the, we've been given the resources, but we haven't been given the environment that pushes us into those different things. We, I don't think we've been in a situation where our close relatives, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm a different age group right now. Like, you know, I was, you know, when a lot of black, Afro, Afro-Americans was not in college. And I don't want to sound illiterate, but in my neighborhood, yeah. there was not a lot of blacks off in college as role models for guys like myself. Understood. So, not having that leads you to the future, which is now, or you know, when you transition out of the league, like I said, you never know what you're gonna need until you need it. That's true. So there's one of those moments where now you transition out of the league, all of that education that you did not pay attention or you, you, you just overlooked because you were playing sports or whatever. Now you need those skills and you don't have them. So now look where you're at, a struggling transition which makes it harder, which makes it that you're gonna take chances now with investing, you're going to uh, give money to certain people that you trust instead of understanding it yourself. So. <laughs> I mean, you don't know what you don't know, and, and that's one of the biggest things I stick to. If you don't know it, how in the world are you going to know about it? You have to put yourself in a situation to learn about it. So true. And so we at Orange Arrow, we we focus on developing those skills in a younger yes. student-athlete to yes. start to get that spark. Because we talk about financial management, career shadowing, entrepreneurship, yes. leadership. Because it's not our goal to discourage our students to be not to be a professional athlete. Dream big, go ahead and do it. Um, so whether you do it or not, these skills will become valuable to you. So when you get opportunity to be like Dwayne starts and play ten years in the NFL, it'll be beneficial when you're done. Or you have a career in the injury mm-hmm. in college, and you don't get a chance to do it. Those same skills are still going to be valuable. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Especially when it comes to being an entrepreneur. Because when you sit there and, and you have, for example, uh, a financial planner that's just talking to you about where he wants to invest your money. And you're sitting there just shaking your head, shaking your head, but know nothing about REIT, know nothing about any investments that he's talking about. Uh, not even the, the, the fee base and all of those different things that applies to rather you're getting ripped off or rather you're in a risky investment. If you don't know anything about it, then you, you go for anything. You believe anything. And now you have a scammer. You don't even know what questions to ask to, to actually uh, to make sure you, you are in a great situation with your financial advisor or accountant or whoever it is, CPA. Right. doesn't matter. Uh, but if you're not aware, if you don't take the time to read yourself and understand it yourself, then you the risk is much higher than just throwing your money in the air and seeing where it falls. Great points. And I was going to say, people could not be afraid to ask questions. But one of the things you said that stood out is, you may not know what questions to ask. So that could play a role why people are not asking questions because I don't really even know what to ask. And, and so right. they're feeling 
like I don't know anything. I'm just gonna be quiet and then be quiet. Yeah. And, and then you find out later and then you get got. Exactly. Because what, what happens is you can you can sit in a meeting, uh say you're in a selection process of selecting a a financial advisor. And you're sitting in there, you're only listening to what he says. He's like, Well, I'm gonna diversify your portfolio, I'm gonna put this over here in the REITs, I'm gonna put these in the mutual funds, I'm gonna put these over here in stocks and bonds, and I'm gonna balance this out real well. And the first thing you should ask, well, what stocks and bonds are you talking about? Right. Uh, what is the commission for me doing this? What is the fee base? What type of broker are you? You know, what type of advisor are you? You know, what are you getting paid? You know, how are you getting paid? All important questions. Like, I wanna put you, I'm gonna put you in some margin. You know, you gotta understand, like margin, what is margin, you ask. It's one of the highest risky, one of the riskiest thing when it comes to trading, definitely. Uh, but you know, young guys don't know that. And you know, if you start to read and just if you know you're going to be investing in stocks, then read up on stocks. Read up on a different type of stocks. Then you can you can form your questions uh, a lot easier, and you can understand the answer. And you know exactly what to ask, and you know what to look for when you when you're choosing an advisor. And if he lies to you and it's not on paper, then you know that that's a problem. Right. Right. <laughs> so, a real problem. Yeah. You know you got to understand uh, Fenra. You know if you you go to an advisor, make sure their reg their firm is regulated by Fenra. All of those different things makes a difference, man. And, and a lot of us are learning on the go. There's a lot of things that I've learned on the go. And if I would have known a lot more ahead of time, I would have been able to ask a lot more questions and take the limited, you know, at least the losses, some of the losses that I had, eliminate those losses. All great stuff. Oh yeah. Mr. Starks, the mission of Orange Arrow is to coach young student athletes to aim for success off the field. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? The mission of Orange Arrow, if I heard you correctly, for young folks to aim for success off the field. Yes. I feel that it's so important because if you're talking about life in general, we'll start from the age of college years, so you're 18 years old, uh, 17, 18 years old. You're not going to play for 20 years unless you're that elite player which is very few of them. So I give you maximum 10 years. So now you're 28, 30 years old, uh, around there, or 33, 34 years old, and still have so much more life to live. So what are you gonna do with that extra life that you have to live? Or that beyond football career that you have to live? That's when life kicks in. That's when you don't have the financial advisor, or you don't have the agent that's saying, hey, go this way. You don't have, for sure. some, yeah. you don't have a parent that say, hey, son, do this over here, be careful. You don't have that anymore. You're the grown-up now. So if you're not prepared for life as a grown-up, who's going to teach you? You have to teach yourself. You have to be willing to put in the time to, to learn the things that you don't know in order to teach them to your youngins or in order to teach yourself or protect yourself from being in a situation where you're losing something. It doesn't necessarily have to be money, but it can be losing uh, family members. You can be losing respect for yourself and losing your, what people know you for. You know, yeah. every time you set eye on someone you know, you know that person for probably a specific thing, right. something you, you, you correlate him with, whether it's a charity, whether it's sports. Or when people look at me, oh, there's Dwayne Starks, great guy, uh, does a lot of charity stuff, he, he cares about people. That's the image that I care right. about. It's your personal brand. The yeah. former NFL player thing, rarely, I, I rarely care about that. And the only time I care about that is if I'm with a bunch of guys. I want them to know, hey, you guys are not the only one that did this. Right, I put in work too. You know, right. I put in my work. Right. That's it. Yep. That's it. Because at the end of the day, I'm 10 years removed from the league now. 
and nothing football, none of that stuff. It helps with appearances when it comes to making a little, you know, extra little money in your pocket or whatever. And with the jobs that I have, it helps. But not everyone is going to follow in the footsteps of continuing, continuing to do things for the players in NFL. I think my purpose and my job, my, my purpose and my job aligns because that's who I am. Helping other people, still involved in sports, and doing it, helping younger athletes makes a big difference. So yes. people can align their 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 personality, their their who they are, with what they're trying to do. Mr. Starks, thank you for your time. I truly enjoyed. I learned a lot. I look forward to competing in ping pong, cooking, and I'm going to improve my golf game because I know you're an avid <laughs> golfer. And then the third one, we'll be competing in golf. All thank, right. Th thank you. It. Appreciate you, boss. We're going to take three L's on that. <laughs> <laughs> Lies you tell. All right. <laughs> thank All you. Right. My pleasure. My man. Yeah. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. Now, give it to me now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside the Play Call with Orange Arrow Players Association. Make sure you stay connected. OrangeArrow.org and all social media platforms. Orange Arrow PA. Please like, share, follow, and donate. Don't forget, I take, you take, we take, and...